0: Hello
1: and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Chip Nellinger. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire & Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow, Tractor Zoom delivering insights, and Dry Shod Boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Well, Chip, there is uh, no lack of things to do right now to talk about, right? I mean, there's you've got this- That's for sure. You've got this massive flooding in China where you've got- a, an, an amazing opportunity to see uh, the large, the world's largest hydraulic, uh, hydraulically powered dam, is on the verge of failing. Um, you've got this uh, pro farmer tour that just took place here, um, and it actually shot a giant hole in the bucket of the USDA and uh, FC Stone as far as what they were seeing as far as overall bushels to the acre coming in. So. Um, I don't even know where to start. Let's just let's just start with the with with what we see as far as acres, uh, as the crop report and acres coming up here. So, September eleventh, right? Is that when eleventh? Yeah. Okay. So September eleventh is when the uh, USD comes out with their big crop report, <coughs> crop progress report, acreage report. Those kind of things all start coming out then. Um, the pro farmer went out and did their tour, and uh, the, actually their tour kind of coincided with the, with that big. Inland hurricane that went through uh, went through Iowa there, but they were kind of pegging that overall corn acreage uh, at right, right around what one seventy seven, one seventy eight, something like that. Uh, yeah, and that was down from the one eighty three, right? That that FC Stone had come out and, the, and then also USD had kind of been pegging it at that one eighty one, one eighty two range all year long. So if you take start taking a look at what you see as as, as going on with, with crops right now. Uh, and that those those total average acres estimates that they're seeing out there we are off three to five maybe even up to six acres six bushels per acre depending on what you're looking at and how those things roll yeah. so what's your thoughts on that and then is it do you feel like that's a that's a legitimate number
0: <clears throat> well i do i do uh and, and, a, and a couple things let me um uh, let me just uh share this and and we'll um take a quick look right this is right off the pro farmer uh website so they came in at 177 and um, a half on corn that was well under the uh, usda at uh, a little over 181 and fc stone you mentioned was way up there just a massive number <clears throat> they put the range 175.7 to 179.3. they always do that based on uh the end of the growing season weather and that's really what's driving things in here on the bean side, 52 and a half. So they were down uh, a little more than a half a bushel on beans. So not as much as a, as a drop on the, the bean uh, yields as they were on the corn. They found a lot of things on corn. A lot of variability, uh, some stand issues in areas. Obviously, Iowa is going to be the, the big question mark. <clears throat> if I scroll down here, um, well, one thing to point out is that uh, they cut 525,000 acres total from harvested corn acres, 300,000 of that coming from Iowa because of the windstorm. Now, the USDA, to add, um, you know, another interesting twist to this thing on September 11th, is going to resurvey farmers in Iowa as to what their acreage is, depending on um, how much wind damage they had. And it's all over the board from literally, you know, zeros disking corn under to no, it's laid over, but some of it's still harvestable and everywhere in between. And um, so that's going to be the question. That's what the corn market's been struggling with is how many acres were affected from the wind damage in Iowa. What's this um, late season dryness going to do? I'm going to drag something else uh, into it here. This really at the heart of it is what's driving us. This is the past 30 day precip. um, And you can see in these areas, uh, uh, basically the upper two thirds of Iowa The upper third to arguably half of Illinois and a big chunk of the northern half of Indiana uh, have only had anywhere from an inch to a little over two inches of rain for the past 30 days. It's been extremely hot in this area. Just here locally, we've had 95 degree temperatures uh, up until today for the past uh, five days and no rain to speak of for, I don't know, three weeks. And so that's what uh, we're, we're dealing with here is kind of a, a quote-unquote flash drought. And this area covers, you know, obviously that's drawn in blue here on this, uh, on this map, covers a big chunk of high-yielding corn area. And so that's what the market's grappling with. And, and I think this September crop report is really going to be important because, um, number one, it's the first field survey report that we're going to see. They used to do the first field surveys in August. They cut back on uh, for budgetary reasons and other issues. They don't do that till September now. Uh, they take those um, those field surveys uh, actually, you know, within the last several days to next um, first two or three days of, of September. So they're very important because they're taking those surveys right now in the heart of this dryness and heat. <clears throat> and so the, the market's gonna have this massive variance of opinions. Because pro-farmers out there at 177.5, and, um, and, and we just don't know. Some of these field reports from farmers that are out in their fields in these areas, especially, especially Illinois and Indiana, not so much Iowa, because Iowa is kind of its own anomaly this year because it was much drier. These parts um, uh, of the upper half of Illinois and, and parts of Indiana have had some okay rains through June and July, It just shut off in August, and some of these areas were really early planted, so some farmers are saying, yeah, I'm out walking fields, and I think that, fingers crossed, we had it planted early enough, we're going to get past a lot of damage from this late season heat and dryness. Obviously, the later planted it is, the more it's going to affect it, and then this area out here in in Iowa is, you know, kind of right here in the central part of Iowa is where the, the big uh, wind damage came into play. So it doesn't matter really what, whether they get that's affected from the wind, but certainly here in the Western half of Iowa, uh, it's been very hot and dry. So <clears throat> wide variance of opinions. We're going to really put these hybrids to a test this year, as far as what, what can they do? Um, and, and what is late season heat and dryness mean to our crops? How much are we going to uh, take off the top from you know, reducing test weight and, and grain fill capacity, uh, here in August. Cause it just literally looks like, although temperatures are finally cooled down here, um, and they're more seasonable, we just have not had any rain and, and the hurricane, you can see where the hurricane moved through, right? It comes right up, uh, through, um, you know, Louisiana, Texas, and right up here through the, uh, kind of Mississippi and Ohio river Valley area. And, uh, they've been well watered and, I guess as dry and hot as we've been in this area, some of these areas through uh, Missouri, Southern Illinois, Southern Indiana, Kentucky, uh, Northern part, kind of the boot hill, Missouri, um, Northeast, Missouri Tennessee, or Northeast Arkansas, Tennessee, this area have had some really good rainfall and really good yield potential to help offset some of um not maybe not all but some of what we're going to lose in the i states in here so it's really shaping up Casey to be anyone's guess on the september report and then obviously that's the first crack at this from a field survey then you you're going to have october uh and and then again in november and the january crop report so we've got several months coming up here the market's going to really digest this you know, what pro farmers started and saw, but then the c- crop conditions through heat and dryness in August and the first, you know, several days of September, look like it's going to be really hot and continuing dryness. What's that going to do to the top end of bean yields and, uh, and corn yields, the bean market really probably responding the most to all of this. Uh, it's just been a straight up moonshot because who would have guessed I mean, some people did, but it it was a gamble, and I guess you would have won the gamble that this area of the I-States would be this dry uh, this late in the season. Literally no rain in some areas going on uh, three-plus weeks in a time that it's been very hot and we need the rain. I feel like I just rambled on a little bit there, Casey, on your question, but this weather map is really what this whole market comes down to. When's it going to rain? Are we going to, there are some a few slight chances like midweek this upcoming week, but it looks like we're going to end the growing season on a really dry note. And, uh, that's really what's driving things. Now that we're talking about this, there, there's a couple catastrophic
1: things that have happened in, in the corn belt. Uh, I obviously think the, uh, the inland hurricane inside of Iowa there that we saw, and then we had a kind of a, a week worth of abreatment there to kind of catch our breath, and then Hurricane Laura comes screaming through, uh, made landfall there in, in Port Charles, Louisiana. Uh, I guess you can – it's six, one-half dozen, another, I think. But th- the speed of it didn't drop as much rain as they thought, but it did generate a lot more wind. As you look at Arkansas, Mississippi, um, you know, through that the path of, of Hurricane Laura, as it, it made its way into – in And inland there. This week is going to be that true tell of what what we saw as far as crop damage goes in the southern Corn Belt. What are your thoughts there and how do you think that's going to stack up comparatively?
0: Well, that's a tough call. I mean, I think there probably was some damage in parts of Texas, Louisiana. Um, They had started harvest down there already, so some of that crop was out of the field. They knew it was coming so they rushed as much as they could to get as much out of the field as they could ahead of that. Probably the most damage is going to be from uh, some of the standing corn in Louisiana. It seems like, uh, as you mentioned, as it moved north up here into this path, like, you know, through the rest of Louisiana and, and Alabama and, and Arkansas, it kind of fell apart a little bit. And, and what I've picked up from guys I've talked to is, um, yeah, there was some rain in there and, and maybe a little too much rain for what they wanted this part of the growing season. Uh, you know, some four, six-inch rains. Um, there wasn't as much wind as it got up into this, you know, Mississippi and Ohio river Valley area. And uh, that doesn't mean that some of these people didn't get some, but as a general consensus, it seems like, uh, we missed out on a lot of the wind damage. Some of this harvest down here in the, um, you know, Mississippi, Louisiana area, um, had started already. And so some of that crops out of the field certainly they don't want to, you know, when you have corn ready to harvest, you don't want a, a hurricane and six, six, eight plus inches of rain on, on things. But what I have picked up from this hurricane is it wasn't that big of a, of a crop damage um, issue, maybe with the exception of Louisiana and, and some of their crop, but, but some of that was out of the field already because they'd started harvest already.
1: Yep. Okay. So let's flip down South into, uh, into brazil and argentina and the growing areas down there whether it's soybeans or or the corn area that they have grown there's a lot of dryness down there right now a lot of issues that we see happen and where there's there's not the um the moisture just not there that they're looking for um but you know okay here we are We're talking about the pro farmer thing we're talking about the the iowa deal we're talking about hurricane laura and now we got this dryness down in in um uh south america and I mean, the market's moved. We've seen some rallies. We've seen some moves there, but everything still seems to be hinging on what China's doing. And, yeah, I mean, so so I guess talk about what you see happen in South America and then kind of how that relates back into, into what we see happen with China.
0: Yeah, right now, <clears throat> China's been uh, a big buyer of our U.S. agricultural products as part of the phase one trade deal. Uh, probably the biggest buyer of beans they've been in, uh, this is off the top of my head, but something like, 12 of the last 15 days, they bought U.S. soybeans. Um, they've been a big buyer of corn. They've had a couple big purchases uh, each in the last two weeks of U.S. corn. Uh, they have been a buyer of U.S. wheat. They're buying uh, sorghum. Uh, obviously, beef and pork, they're starting to buy. <clears throat> so, as part of the, the I, I believe, you, you, you never know the full details, but they're, they're, Actions right now tell you, A, uh, they're worried about feeding people in this River Valley area, Three yeah. Gorges Dam that may uh, give way. Um, to the north of that are their main crop areas, and you have um, seen some dryness in those areas, as well as some insect damage, the, this locust uh, issue that has been uh, you know, hurting different parts of the uh, of the Far East. Um, it, it appears that uh, they, they're they struggling with that. And so where there's smoke, there's fire. It does look like they have a big appetite and that they continue to buy U.S. products. But as you mentioned, South America is ready. Their currencies, particularly Brazil, uh, are really in the favor of the uh, the Brazilian farmer right now. The way that they conduct business and and their currency fluctuations are far in favor. They're making like massive profit margins. Uh, you know allegedly they're making up to three years of, of profit margins uh, with this crop they're about to plant And the last crop that they just you know got done harvesting um, this past winter and now we're in the process of, of finishing up selling that, they made really good profit margins as well. They are set to increase acreage down there on beans from uh, anywhere from two to four plus percent. Uh, they've had some private estimates already that if the weather um, is is normal, that their soybean crop size in Brazil could be uh, upwards of 133 million metric tons versus a previous record around 121, 122. So massive, massive production increase is in the cards. Now, with all that being said, it ha- they haven't planted an acre yet. They've got the whole growing season ahead. Um, and it's a La Nina year. So you, if you haven't heard about that already, you're going to be... Uh, ready to throw up by uh, February because you're going to hear La Nina about 67 trillion times. Uh, <laughs> La Nina is um, kind of trends them towards hotter, drier conditions. And as you mentioned, it's been very, very dry in, in, uh, in Argentina. They've, they've started to get a few rains right now. But the growing season, because of La Nina, could be a little bit on the drier side. I take that with a grain of salt because if you just—I don't know if you still see my my screen, Casey—but the Brazilian growing area really ranges from up here about the Canadian border all the way down here into our Central Plains, um, almost as far south as uh, Mexico, and then back up through kind of the uh, the Eastern Corn Belt. Here, it's a massive area compared to our main growing areas. It's hard to get a generalized drought situation because they're so spread out. It almost, it almost insulates them a little bit because of how far north to south and east to west that growing area is. It's hard for them to have a just a general, everyone's hot and dry, and and they're going to plant more acres. So that doesn't mean they can't have a problem. It's just harder to see a big problem there. And, and maybe Argentina is going to be the, uh, the hot spot to watch. But certainly, they are waiting in the wings to produce a massive crop. And China, you know China's, at least so far, said and, and proven by their actions that they're going to buy from whoever it's cheapest and it makes the most sense to China to buy from. Um, and unfortunately, if there is a, a big crop down there, that means that's going to be Southern Hemisphere, um, you know, products and supplies from about, I don't know, the end of, uh, say, about the beginning of January through the end of April or May, depending on their crop size. And that could put a crimp in things. But we have front loaded on, uh, on exports. China's been a massive buyer of new crop supplies, and that's what's driving things in here, in addition to this dryness on this um, weather chart. And, uh, that's really caused a, a big change in the dynamics of our markets here, especially the bean market recently. Beans are just leading us higher on a straight up moonshot. And that is, uh, it's a pace that probably can't continue, but boy, it's been, uh, it's been a big change of, of ownership and, uh, and, and market thoughts in these beans, because of this hot, dry weather we've experienced here in the United States. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things. So
1: Brazil, Argentina, and the EU have all talked about how they're going to lift uh, tariffs on imports of grain, and that's you know across the board corn, soybeans, sorghum, wheat, all that stuff. EU, I understand why they're doing it um, because they have their version of the USDA has backed off the um, crop estimates on corn and wheat both. To be somewhere in the neighborhood of about 50% back of what the original projections were due to drought. Brazil sold as much as they could possibly sell to China as fast as they could sell it. So I mean, they might have they might have outpaced their ability to uh, make sure that that the home front's taken care of. And I think you know Argentina did the same thing. So as you look at those kind of those three kind of monikers out there right now, what's your thoughts on that and how do you think that's going to play into this week's trade? <clears throat>
0: that's the that's the uh, chess game, if you want to call it that. That the that the world's playing right now. China has such a huge appetite. There's obviously demand in other parts of the world. Um, there's a lot of moving pieces in this thing. So European Union's part of that. Um, the the euro currencies had a, a a big rally against the dollar. So the dollar has dropped the most against the euro currency. The least against some of our competitive ag countries like Brazil, like Russia, and Unfortunately, Europe is probably the the least uh, the smallest player when it comes to our you know major grains uh, as far as them importing that, and that's you know mainly the the, the GMO uh, issue there. So, with all that being said, there's some talk that uh, Brazil may import some of our. They've exported more of their beans at the expense of their internal crush capacity. They may have to import some of our ethanol. There's a lot of moving pieces here, geopolitically and um, you know interconnected across the world right now, and that's what is is part of the unknown of this. And how's that going to affect our exports? So that's what the market is is kind of waiting on and and digesting. Um, You know, I think uh, Russia and Ukraine are another part of this. They've been pretty hot and dry. It's probably um, you know nipped their top end yield potential in those areas, and they're a big you know competitive uh force as far as our uh, especially grain and wheat uh, exports go in the rest of the world so that's really what's kind of causing some of these big moves and and volatility we've seen led by the bean market but corn and wheat aren't immune to that either um and it's just a matter of what okay wh- when this shakes out here in the next couple months what's our crop size what's the world supply um you know how much is that going to affect our exports And, and how big of a player is China going to continue to be? Because even though they, they're where there's smoke, there's fire and you have to go by what their actions are. Their actions are, they are buying new crop, um, grains and, and proteins in a massive amount, um, in spite of almost on a daily basis, what appears to be the United States and, and Chinese, um, you know, economic and political, um, relationships getting worse and worse almost on a daily basis. So that almost leads you to believe that, yeah, okay. They probably do have a problem, whether that's the, the flooding or, or a combination of flooding and production problems there that at least in the short run, this is, they need the grain, but how long are they going to keep taking it? And how big of a crop is South America going to have? Because uh, my opinion is if, if they can buy it from anywhere else in the world, other than the United States, they're going to do it. Uh, right now, they can't because we're the only game in town. South America is about sold out of of supplies from their, um, you know, recently harvested new crop, and so it, China needs it, and we're the only in a place they can get it. And uh, how long that lasts is going to be a, a big question.
1: Yeah, no, that's 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 exactly right. I mean, as you look around right now, I think the biggest reason why. This tariff thing is happening right now is because we 're the only place on the planet right now you can get a large supply of 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 grains proteins those kind of things i mean we're we 're really the only game in town when it comes to that and i think I think the Chinese know that, and I think everybody else on the planet knows that until something else happens and and this weather thing, like the la nina thing you 're talking about, if that does come to fruition um, it 's going to be dry it 's going to be hard growing here in the next uh this this next upcoming growing season in some very key growing parts of the world i e brazil i e um, europe russia um the whole black sea region um india you know argentina and those those areas are all going to be greatly affected by by la nina and how that affects their growing season and um we could be and and not things are going to be that great in the u.s either but we're going to be better off than the rest of the world if everything follows like past not la-, la ninas have gone so there could be some some great opportunities here in the next you know 12 months
0: for for the u.s farmer yeah i agree <clears throat> and uh you know the market's forward thinking it's a futures market um and you know let me let me just pull the bean market up i think the bean market is a uh Prime example of this right now, as we record this case, we're up 14 and three quarters. I mean, this move here just in the last two weeks, we put a low in ahead of the uh August crop report at 865 and a quarter. We're trading 965 and a quarter, so we have rallied a dollar in two weeks straight up. It appears now that the market wants to challenge this gray area up here, these previous highs from uh, you know, a year plus ago. We've, we've been up in this level about three times and essentially that's about 978 to uh, call it 985 uh, another 20 cents higher than where we're at do we push above these previous contract highs and, and challenge 10 bucks the, the weather will tell you that crop size will tell you that but all I can tell you is if you take the last two weeks a dollar straight up and and go back to these previous lows about 830. So you're about a buck thirty off the lows from uh, mid to late April. This the rate of this increase. I don't care what market is; it doesn't last for long. So the market is in the process of digesting the worst possible scenario. And I don't know where that high. I don't know if that's nine eighty. I don't know if it's these overnight highs so far. I don't know if it's ten twenty. But I'm telling you this move is, is probably it. You got a big gap here. It's not going to take long. It's not going to take till February when we see the, the uh, South American weather situation for the market to digest the most bullish situation. And so we're you're probably in the, you know, the midst of a, of an opportunity here, um, corn and wheat haven't followed as much as beans. Cause some of this dryness has happened, especially that mid South area, you know, they're about to harvest corn. So heat and dryness and plus they haven't had the dryness. They've had plenty of rain <clears throat> and up here in this area we we got it planted early enough that it's probably not doing tremendous amount of damage East of the Mississippi. And that doesn't mean it hasn't taken the top end off, but, um, these beans they're made in August. We just haven't had a lot of rain. And the jury's still out on that, right? We're going to know um, a little more on this September 11th crop report. We're going to know even more on the October crop report, but there's one argument out there that, you know, maybe yields will hold up a little bit better because in general, a lot of this was planted early, especially beans. Um, more and more the last three or four years, people have been planting beans earlier and that's driven some of our better yields. And, um, it's just an unknown we, we haven't faced this very often with this kind of late season drought it's it's not like 2012 where it just didn't rain starting in June and never rained again A lot of these areas have had plenty of rain and just in the last four weeks it shut off so how bads it hurt and yield is yet to be known <clears throat> but on this chart on beans the the bean market is telling you we're going to take a we're not going to take a wait- and see approach we're gonna assume. We are losing yield dramatically, and we're we'll going to work backwards from there. And so, my take on this straight up move—a dollar in two weeks, essentially—and and maybe there's more to come. Maybe there's another fifty cents in this thing. Maybe we're going to ten, ten and a quarter. <clears throat> it's going to happen probably sooner rather than later. And um, they're going to have the most bullish scenario factored in relatively quickly. I think possibly this week because you've got the the long weekend we got labor day coming up no markets is coming monday and then on friday is a se- september crop report so i think there's a small possibility you um, you put a high end this week in the bean market and where is it? i don't know this thing's moving 15 20 cents a day i mean it could be well north of 10 bucks when it happens but i i got personally i'm on the lookout for a potential intermediate term to longer term top sometime this week in the bean market. And, um, you know, then maybe a long tail into harvest and then wait and see on what the South American production looks like. But the bean market is definitely the leader right now. Okay.
1: All right. So let's take a look at, if you go back and, and, and think about it for a minute, USDA comes out on September, makes an adjustment uh, back from their, their 180 1 to 183 range that they were they've been kicking around here since since january or since or since march april when they when they rolled that out and then you come back into that 176 177 178 range uh in corn and you start hitting that that, that 50 52 in in beans um and they start making those adjustments september october and kind of go roll that like they typically would uh, up until january What's your thoughts on, on run-ups at that point based on those those reductions in yield?
0: Yeah, so <clears throat> let me let me share my screen again here. I showed you uh beans there just a second ago. <clears throat> so this is the corn market. Just as a as a quick um review, my cursor's a little slow here. So here's beans. You can see the the ascent that they've gone up. Here's corn. We haven't even yet um, exceeded the previous highs at 363 from uh, about a month and a half ago, <clears throat> and now we're getting close to it. If we do exceed that, um, there's a there's a lot going on from a technical perspective, kind of in the uh, you know essentially 380 to to low. Uh, 370 area in that in that gray box that I just uh, drew, basically it's 3 380. If my cursor will cooperate, kind of that gray box right there, 372 to about 380 would be maybe the next target. <clears throat> but you can see the corn market isn't as concerned as the as the bean market because a lot of the corn is far enough along that this dryness will take the top end out, but maybe not to the extent um of the beans. But that's the unknown that the market's going to try to digest and and typically do it sooner rather than they they sh- they shoot first, ask questions later. And so I think that's part of what you're uh you're building in right now. And some of that some of your question, the answer to your question is going to be what happens on the September crop report. If they come in at 180 and a half, then the market, especially on corn, has probably overshot it and they're going to think, well, maybe maybe it's going to be somewhere between 177 and 180 and we've digested the worst of this if they come in at 17175, 175 then the market's going to start thinking okay they've got more to cut in october and and november and january and this thing's going to end up you know at a one, somewhere way south of of 177 so in my opinion a lot of it depends on what comes out on the September crop report. That's why it's so important. And with this late season heat and dryness, September crop report is always important, but this might be one of the bigger uh, impactful crop reports that we've seen in a long, long time because they're going to have actual yield data, right? They're going to have weights. They're going to have pod counts. They're going to they're gonna weigh pods if the bean plants mature enough in, in areas. They got a lot of good data on this report. And um, you can argue it, but uh, it's really going to drive the market. So I think it depends on the size of the change in yield. Um, if it's small changes, market's going to say, okay, we've got this pretty close. And, you know, maybe we don't have to go up a lot more. If, if the changes are bigger decreases than what the market thinks, then they're going to really add to the bullishness thinking, they're just going to keep cutting this thing all the way to January. So it's going to really, September 11th is really going to set the stage for how this market trades through harvest and into early winter, in my opinion.
1: Let's talk about oil. Oil, since uh, the the COVID-19, kind of everything started reopening and those kind of things. It went from a negative $38 a barrel down up to, uh, now we're up to back up in the 40s. I think we're uh, Friday finished up, uh, West Texas Intermediate finished up somewhere in the neighborhood of like 43 and a quarter, if I remember correctly. And I'm just trying to think off the top of my head here. But um, Brent crude was around 45. So we've, we've gotten back into that 40 to 45 range, and we've kind of slopped back and forth um, in that range. Never A lot of intraday volatil- volatility, but not a bunch of uh, day you know, inter, uh, outside of that, you know a, a weekly volatility. There's not a bunch there. So I guess as you look at the oil market compared to that relationship to, to ethanol, what's your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, so I don't know if you can still see my screen here, Casey. This is uh, October crude oil. And you can see, we never went negative on the October because there was a big carry in the market. Uh, so this is just the October contract. That low uh, clear back there was uh, in the low 20s, uh, just uh, called about 23 and change. And we're trading currently about 43.12. If you can see this gray box here, We've we've really for uh, about a month just gone sideways. We've slopped around a little bit, but if you compare this to the you know some of these range days, just pick this one out. This was a, uh, almost a three dollar range uh, low to high. This one was uh, about the same, about two seventy. Here's one to the downside that was uh, three dollars and twenty cents. These ranges have really narrowed as we're going sideways here. So the, mar- the w- two things it's telling you: one, the market's fairly priced right here in the low to mid 40s. Um, we've kind of equalized supply and demand. People are driving more. We're not fully open necessarily, uh, but people are driving more than the the you know the middle of COVID. From an ethanol perspective, we continue to run about uh, 10 to 12 million bushels a week below what our average has been. So it has bounced back as driving has increased, but our ethanol um, usage is has not bounced back to 100% yet. You can argue that maybe that's okay, maybe that's close enough, because of some of these purchases of China, of US corn, that um, our exports have increased to offset that a little bit, and we're gonna be okay on the demand side. That's yet to be seen. That'll be played out between now and the January crop report. But uh, from a face value standpoint, ethanol demand is a little bit questionable in my mind because we haven't bounced back fully. Now, the other thing about crude oil, when you see these sideways ranges, you're going to break out of here one way or the other. I don't know which way it'll be. This blue trend line from these two previous lows, uh, this is on uh, July 30th. And this low is on June 15th. This is important. The moving average is across for higher. People are bulled up because, you know, we're at a multi-month high in here. But whatever way you break out of this range, call it uh, 4133 on the downside and 4378 on the upside, whatever way you break out of that's probably going to be uh, the direction of the next big move higher. If it's the upside, it probably could push you to uh, up close to 50 bucks. If it's to the downside of this, it means something's going wrong. Maybe the economy's slowing. Maybe the stock market has put a correction in. And and maybe you're going to come down here back into the mid-30s. So I wouldn't expect, Casey, when we're talking in December or January, I'd be shocked if we're still on the 43 range. We're probably going to be either closer to 50 or 35, just by the way these markets move. And uh, some of that's going to have to do with how the world economy comes back, as well as how we, um, I guess, how the spread of COVID happens once the the cooler temperatures come and and winter comes and the normal flu season starts, which is going to be pretty soon in a lot of areas. Uh, that's probably going to drive the the next leg of this based on what the, expectation of the market is for uh i guess the the health of the world economy and how we're going to get through the winter flu and covid season uh staring us right in the face here we're looking down the barrel of that yep absolutely well good stuff as usual chip
1: man a lot of great information here uh make sure you check this out on on youtube uh this we, you know, Chip and I were live on YouTube with this, so all the all the charts and stuff he was showing showed up there. you should see them out there on the YouTube video. Um, Chip, if folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what Blue Reef Agri-Marketing does and how you can help uh, do some some just planning of of the everyday uh, marketing strategies, what's the best way to do that?
0: Yeah, best way is just uh, give us a call at the office. Um, we work from home a lot, sometimes we're in the office, but if you call our office number, it rolls over to our cell phones, We'd be happy to talk to you. That number is 309-550-7213. Uh, kind of treacherous times. No one knows exactly where the market's going. I'll tell you that, Casey, but things have gotten a lot more interesting, and it's more important than ever to have a plan. So feel free to give us a call. and We'd love to chat with you. Yep. That's a, that's a great point,
1: Chip. Make sure you have that plan put in place. And that everybody understands what that looks like and how that's supposed to work. So I'm Casey Seen with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all the latest news as far as uh, Moving Iron goes. Uh, also check out my, my website, movingironllc.com, where you can check all the latest news uh, that has to do with Moving Iron Podcast and the Global Ag Network as well. Listen to all the great podcasters out there. Um, Summit got postponed uh, It was supposed to happen September 1st through the 3rd They got moved to January 20th through the 22nd Same uh, same place there in Nashville, Tennessee uh, At the Renaissance Hotel downtown Downtown, And uh, I should have more information up here This uh, next couple of days as far as that goes But uh, with that, I am Casey Seymour with Chip Nellinger Let's go move some iron, folks Out
0: Moving iron in the 21st century